It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. We covered the G7 summit and tragic news out of Oregon. And I share my interview with Sarah Rumpf, Republican operative and former communications director for the Evan McMullen campaign. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. So Beth is on the road this week on her way to London for a nice family vacation. But before she flew away, we thought we'd do a quick pearls and heels before we share her interview with Sarah Rump. Also, we are still in the middle of our membership drive. We taped our tipsy pantsuit politics last night, and we will be discussing a little bit of that in the heels. But it's not too late. If you want to join, we will be sharing that bonus episode with anyone who joins the membership drive until the end of this month. So. 
go over to patreon.com forward slash paintsuitpolitics, or you can go to our website, paintsuitpoliticsshow.com, and click become a supporter. There's all types of levels of support, and they each open up special benefits from bonus episodes to access to the pantsuit primer archive and lots of stuff in between so we would love your support it takes a lot of time and energy to produce pantsuit politics as evidence from the fact that i'm recording from my van as beth is recording from a hotel room so we really appreciate you guys yes if every person who listens would pledge just one dollar a month we would be able to do so much more with the show and we really want to try to give you lots of value for that support so thank you so much So in the pearls today, we're going to talk about Trump's uh, trip to the G7 summit and the tragic attack in Oregon. So today we are recording on Sunday and Angela Merkel had some thoughts on the G7 summit. I think what went on behind closed doors was even um, more intense than we perceived from the outside, Beth. I think so, too. I've seen several people note that she is a very cautious public speaker. So for her to go as far as she did today in saying that Germany can no longer completely depend on the United States was pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, yeah, she was basically like, we're on our own. I saw somebody tweet like, oh, this is just exactly what we've been trying to avoid since World War II, but that's okay. Well, she said that, you know, we should, that Germany should still seek a good relationship with the United States and, and with the UK. And that's another thing that's noteworthy. I think that the UK has really marginalized itself because mm-hmm. of Brexit and because of sort of the nationalist um, ideals that are taking root there. And so it really is a different landscape. She also said that, that Germany and other European countries are going to have to do their best with Russia. But this very much feels like a, a win for Vladimir Putin. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things I saw today was somebody tweeted, name one policy that Trump has um, instituted that benefits Russia. Name one. And Matt Iglesias was like, I'll name three. First of all, alienating Europe and breaking down the um, NATO Article 5. And also, you know, like there's lots of things that are strengthening Russia's ability to undermine the um, unity of the European Union, which stands as sort of a wall between them and the rest of the world. And so this sort of undermining of the coherence of this group, and it seemed like everybody was just in a constant psychological battle to figure out Trump between Macron and his handshake and the way he like sort of walked towards Trump and then zoomed right. But I think that all that stuff we saw, the handshake, the walking, the stupid crap with him riding a golf cart before behind everybody else as they walked the streets. I think that was like such like surface level stuff that we have no idea how bad the actual meetings were. But I, I get the impression that they were very, very bad. Well, I do too. And then you saw his speech lecturing people on paying more. And what bothers mm-hmm. me about this paying more line, I think that makes the average American believe that these countries actually write the United States a check when that is not yeah. at all how this works. You know, each country is responsible for investing in defense spending And if you're hearing about Article 5 and don't know what that is, that's the article of the NATO treaty that says an attack on one is an attack on all, which has only been invoked one time, and that was for the benefit of the United States after 9-11. So the, the entire context upon which Trump is speaking is really important here, and I think he's misleading the American people by constantly talking about 
these defense mechanisms as though all of the militaries of all of these countries are mercenary. It just, right. It's really frustrating to me. I was reading some more of the book that our listener, Tamala, gave me about why rich nations fail on the plane today. And there was a discussion of how many countries have experienced, when they accumulate a massive amount of wealth, this interest in outsourcing military operations and making sure that they're paying people to do their fighting. And the problem with that is if your military is based on money, then whoever writes a bigger check gets the benefit of their services. And I I just, I feel like all of this is happening without any awareness of or interest in history. Yeah. Well, and I think that with regards to all of this, if I'm Angela Merkel, I'm Justin Trudeau. It's not like these people aren't watching the news. So to have him bombastically, you know, strutting around and making all these accusations and sort of just blowing up these relationships while simultaneously all this news is breaking that Jared Kushner tried to set up a back channel to Russia before during the transition. Oh, it has got to be so infuriating. It's infuriating to me as an American without, you know, as not a leader of another nation with huge interest at stake. I can't imagine how they felt. Well, and also the optics of the way that he approached Saudi Arabia just a few days before coming into the NATO summit, it it looks really strange. It's just really, really strange. Well, and I don't understand the idea that, like, you believe that there's all these things at risk with North Korea in particular. Do you not think that we, you know, have nothing to gain from maintaining strong alliances with our past allies should something happen, tra- you know, some sh- should the situation in North Korea, North Korea escalate like or ISIS or all these, you know, quote unquote enemies just because they're in a different part of the world doesn't mean that there is no strategic benefit from keeping ourselves aligned with the freaking G7 nations. I'm so confused. Well, Chad and I were talking about this, and and Chad said another way to look at this is that the EU does make some weird – we were talking more about Brexit. He said another way to look at this is that the EU makes some weird decisions, right, bailing out Greece, you know, helping all these countries that are financially unstable. And I can see where the British got tired of that. And I said, on a surface level, I can too, but it would not be good for the United States if Canada went bankrupt, it, mm. Like that, we as nations do need to be invested in one another's stability to some extent. Are there limits on that? Sure. Do we do we just pass taxpayer dollars around the world? No. But the stability of Greece is important to Europe, and I think that you can see the economic impacts of just letting a country kind of slide off the map in that way. So I, I don't well, know. And I, if anybody has an economic dog in that fight, it sure as heck is Germany. They're right. propping up the whole game over there. You know, like right. if they think it's worth it, if they see the strategic you know, benefit of that, then surely the rest of us can see it. So you have coming out of the NATO summit, clearly strained relations with what have been our closest allies, World War II. You also have real questions about whether the United States remains committed to the Paris Accords and the Mm -hmm. president tweeting that he'll make his mind up about that like sometime next week, which made me think, will global warming get the final rose? I mean, what? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. He is doing it's not a commercial break. That's exactly what I thought. Like you are trying. It's not sweep sweeps, dude. 
Like, this isn't, and it's just so gross. The idea that, like, he, he'll make the final call because he, no. Like, there's all the information that you need is out there. Your understanding of this is not going to change over a week. Why are you, it's just uh, so transparent. And there are reports that we are not going to commit to mm. the, the the climate accords. And you and I talked about this at the time. It almost doesn't matter what's in them. When you have global consensus about something, that's great. That's really good. Yeah. We should go with that. Yeah, absolutely. So beyond Trump's trip that is now over, we had some really sad news coming out of Oregon there was a white supremacist harassing two Muslim women on, a, I believe it was a train, and two, um, or th- I'm sorry, three men from Portland came to their defense, and two of them were stabbed and killed. And it is just so sad, period, that we have these sort of attacks. But it has also seemed to become such like sort of the political lightning rod with some people feeling like Trump should say something and recognize these people's bravery. One of the men who died was a father of four and a former um, and a veteran. And it does seem like that when it's when it's a white supremacist, which those sort of terror attacks happen not irregularly in the United States, they're treated very differently than should would that have happened had it been a um terrorist from a different religion the one i think silver lining of this horrific incident is that the two men who were killed defending this person have received more attention than the perpetrator of the attack and that's yeah, as yeah, it I should don't even, be that's so true yeah and i you know and it's it's true like they their heroism should be recognized and they should we should take this as a moment to say like what is going on what is happening um, can we not necessarily, you know, Carrie, um, wrote us a really great email that was like, I hate it when people talk about leaders talk about ending terrorism. We're not going to end terrorism. Um, it's just a reality of the world we live in. Can we prevent it? Can we reduce it? Absolutely. But the idea that we will always end people behaving and doing these horrific acts, um, be it because of mental illness or ideology or whatever is really unrealistic. So I'm not saying we should talk about, you know, eliminating sort of these attacks, but, you know, recognizing that the, the, the impact on our culture and um, the impact on these individual families, like it's just so sad. And I do think that Trump should say something and should, instead of tweeting about leaks and fake news, like it's not very encouraging to not have your president recognize the heroism of your particularly a family member that that stood up for somebody and did the right thing in such a horrific situation i did some binge listening to our sponsor on the media over the weekend and they had an interesting interview with someone about how we talk about terrorist incidents this this analysis was about was about manchester but she said that our language really does make a difference. And instead of saying what terror group took credit for an incident, we should say that they confessed, right? Because we're talking mm. about murder. Um, and, right. and there were lots of things like that that I thought were such an important shift in how we think about these things. And that has been encouraging to me out of Portland that I think we see that shift from let's get in the mind of this madman to Let's recognize that as a country, what we value is the bravery of people who reject that that kind of hatred and violence. Right. Absolutely. 
All right, are we ready to compliment the other side? Yes. So I'm going to start John Boehner, you little gem. <laughs> you is being out there doing interviews, and I just want to give this um, quote <laughs> just the full love it, de it deserves. I don't want to be president. I drink red wine. I smoke cigarettes. I golf. I cut my own grass. <laughs> Nothing not awesome about that quote. I think smoking is so disgusting, and that's my favorite part of that quote. Oh, it makes me laugh so hard. Well, and he also said that everything that has happened so far is basically a disaster. And the president is very upset about it, according to sources, but did not tweet about it. And I saw so many people saying, this is the moment he really became president. <laughs> oh, my God. I just love it. I love that he's so honest about like, I don't want to be a part of that goat rodeo. I smoke cigarettes. I cut my own grass. It's a mess. It's like totally like John Boehner. You don't know what you got till it's gone, man. I wish he, we, I, I take back all the mean things I said about him. You know, I never really just despised him. Like I always kind of dug his crying. I thought it was kind of sweet. I don't know. I think, I think it's, I always felt bad about how they turned on him towards the end. I love it. I love it. You do you. I am glad you are living your best life right now, John Boehner. Smoke it up, my friend. I want to compliment Representative Jerry Connolly of Virginia, who I thought had a very mature quote in an article about Trump's impeachment. Uh, he he was urging Democrats to be cautious. And I know a number of Democrats mm -hmm. have been pretty cautious in talking about this because they have learned the lessons of the Clinton impeachment and recognize what a big deal this is. But he, Representative Connolly said, I don't think we ought to be talking about that right now. Impeachment is a last resort, not your first resort. We need to pursue this where mm -hmm. it takes us. But I think we're way too early in the game to be talking about that, even talking about it. I reject talk of that. It's not useful for Democrats. And while I am very concerned about everything happening in our country, I think that that kind of measured response from Democrats in the House is really valuable. Because you know now when this guy starts talking about it, we should listen. It, it right. won't be premature. It will be considered and thoughtful. I kind of, you know, look, is it frustrating sometimes that Democrats aren't as on message as Republicans seem to be? Yeah, but I don't, I like the fact that Democrat, I, you know, I respect his opinion. I'm glad he's saying it. I'm glad Maxine Waters is out there every five minutes being like, it's time to preach. What are we waiting for? Like, there's room for both voices to me. And like, to have the conversation and to know that you have people that on sort of all sides of the aisle, like that doesn't bother me at all. So I'm excited to share with you my interview with Sarah Rumpf. She's someone I have admired for a while. I'm sure that's going to come through in the conversation and she'll tell you a little bit about her background and her thoughts on where the Republican party or at least sort of centrist conservatives can go from here. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, 
is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. So Sarah, I'm so excited to talk to you because I feel like you're part of a group of people that following y'all on Twitter and (laughs) following you throughout the campaign reminds me that I'm not quite alone in the world as a centrist Republican who cares about like the constitution and believes in free speech and individual liberty. So thank you for, (laughs) for being a voice for those of us who have been voiceless, but I would love to just hear a little bit for our listeners about your background and the whirlwind that you've had over the past two years. 
<laughs> no problem. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, well, I actually, uh, some people know this. I started out as an attorney doing the typical go to law school, clerk at a firm, work at a downtown firm kind of path. And I just, I just, the politics bug just got into me. And I think that that's probably, it's a sentiment that a lot of people that are involved in politics understand that you, you just can't stay uninvolved. Um, I had a friend who was running for state representative back in Florida and was complaining that it was hard to raise money as a first time candidate. And my response to that was, oh, well, let me look up how the law works and let me form a pack for you and let's see what we can do. Um, and so we did that. We got some young Republican friends and we put together a small pack under Florida law that helped out first time candidates and, um, ones running for their first reelection and, supported about a dozen candidates. And then uh, the next election cycle, somebody was like, oh, can you do that for this county candidate? Oh, wait, I can get paid for this. Marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that led to doing some more election law stuff and getting more involved in some campaigns. And at one point, I just decided you know, okay, what the heck? I'm going to bet on myself. And I, I, I still think my parents haven't quite gotten over the shock. What do you mean you're leaving your stable job with insurance and a 401k? Um, and <laughs> I went out on my own and worked on campaigns for a couple of years. And at some point got irritated because the Orlando Sentinel would write about events, especially on the Republican side and wouldn't even send a reporter out there. So I, again, looked up how to make a blog. <laughs> it's not, you can still find it out there. It's not the fanciest thing, but I, I had a little blog I started in Florida where I just started writing about what I was seeing and my observations and my thoughts on things. And because of my legal background, some of the analysis of, you know, constitutional amendments and different legal things that were happening. And it led to people actually thinking, oh, maybe she can write. So um, that's given me kind of a second career and being able to do some freelance journalism. I'm, I'm really lucky. I've been able to, you know, interview presidential candidates, attend some debates, have a front row seat for, you know, some guy named Marco coming out of nowhere in Florida to get elected to the Senate. And then another guy named Ted here in Texas, where I am now, um, I've, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of the American political scene and gotten to kind of be in the middle of it, covering it, and then still worked on a number of campaigns here and there and gotten to <laughs> see a lot of cool stuff. <laughs> well, so this all kind of seems to have come together fairly quickly for you. I was taking a look at your blog earlier today, and it seems like in about a four-year period, you went from okay, I'm going to get involved in this to I'm going to be right at the heart of it. Is that about right? <laughs> yeah, it kind of, I mean, things just kind of happened to work out the right way. Um, Marco Rubio was not taken seriously by the political establishment when he first got in the race, but there are a number of us that knew him and liked him. And, you know, the, the one of the things that, um, uh, representative, or now he's a state senator, Dennis Baxley had said is that Charlie Crist's support is a mile wide, but an inch deep. We have an opportunity here. And uh, Rubio did everything right. He went around to all the activist groups and got everybody very excited. And, you know, because I was kind of in the middle of writing about that, I think that gave me a little bit more weight and attention than I would have had if I had been trying to write about 
city council races in a smaller state. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the reality is just because Florida has been a swing state for so long and the, the I-4 corridor that runs through central Florida, which is my hometown area, um, has always been an area of natural, national interest that makes it a little bit easier for, to get people to pay attention to you. So just a, a couple of things that, that made it a little bit easier to, to break into this. So help me understand how you went from, I have a blog. I work on some campaigns to the McMullen Finn effort. <laughs> um, well, several years ago, I was, um, you know, getting involved in different things and made friends with a guy named Rick Wilson, um, who, if you're following me on Twitter, you've probably seen Rick. And he, he and his family live in Tallahassee and he's become a very dear friend. We've worked on some campaigns together. And as this whole Trumpian thing was happening, over the past few years, we were both from the beginning, not fans of Donald Trump. <laughs> and we're, we're talking frequently like, okay, well, you know, hopefully, you know, Marco Rubio or one of the other guys, anybody, anybody, <laughs> any Republican with a pulse, can someone please beat this guy? <laughs> and obviously that didn't turn out to be true. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a bit of an odd, you know, feeling when you've been, I mean, I, I registered as a Republican at age 18. I've always considered myself a Republican. Um, I voted for, you know, a handful of not of candidates other than Republicans for local and state races based on very specific things. But the idea of not voting for a Republican for president was so just, just a very, disheartening and, and, and just heartbreaking sort of thing. I can't believe that we're in this situation. I don't trust this guy. I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not comfortable with the things he says. <laughs> um, and I mean, you know, and Rick had been telling me that he had been working with Joel Serby and this group of people that were, you know, looking at polling and showing that there was a narrow path for a center right candidate. Um, and I knew that they'd been going around and trying to get somebody to run <laughs> and that they were not getting very far at all. It was rejection after rejection. Um, Joel's actually, if, if you, Joel's got a blog that he's put up and he's, he's written a little bit about, he calls himself the most rejected man in America. I mean, I, I don't think that there's a single, uh, Republican of any stature that he didn't try to get to run. Um, and just when time was running out, they, you know, managed to connect with, with Evan McMullen. And I mean, it's, it's the craziest thing to say, okay, we're going to run a guy no one's heard of right. <laughs> for president in three months. <laughs> and I actually had, um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky with the internet. I can work from anywhere. So I had actually, I was sort of on vacation. I had, I had thrown my stuff in the car and driven across the country and gone to visit some friends, including Rick in, in Tallahassee and was on my way to North Carolina to hang out with my parents. Um, they've got a little summer place that they're retired and it's adorable and it was their dream and they did it. And I'm so proud of them. And Rick tells me that they've got a candidate. <laughs> and I said, Oh, great. And I'm thinking he's going to tell me like Ben Sass or Romney or somebody. And I said, who's the candidate? And he said, Evan McMullen. And I said, who? <laughs> right. <laughs> like everybody else in America. <laughs> 
And, you know, I started looking him up and I said, okay, well, um, I trust you, but I've, I don't know anything about this guy. So you're going to have to make him call me if you want me on board. And so I got to North Carolina and the news broke that day. And, um, in the middle of press interviews, Rick handed him my phone and had him talk to me. And I'm like, all right, let's do this crazy thing. Um, I think there was definitely an appetite for, somebody who is principled and more optimistic. Um, I'm glad we participated in the race. I'm proud of the, I mean, we built a national network, a grassroots network from scratch in three months with pretty much no resources, which just doesn't happen. And you, you look at how all that grew, you know, almost totally organically. I mean, by the end we were getting um, um, over a million hits for every single Facebook post, sometimes more. And that wasn't through paid. <laughs> there was very little paid posts because we didn't have the budget for it. Um, there, there is definitely a, an appetite for that. There is a segment of the American voter population that it doesn't really, it is like, is where I am and doesn't really fit, didn't really feel like they fit in with everything that's happening right now. Well, that was true for me. I was so grateful for Evan McMullen's candidacy because it gave me a place to go. You can see on our show's website, I practically begged people to consider voting for <laughs> Evan McMullen. Um, and, and it more than, more than his participation in the sort of 2017 debacle that was our election, it gives me hope for something in the future that better represents my values. Because as I look back, you know, I think I've been feeling more and more distant from the Republican party for some time, but just didn't have words to put around that. And I feel like Trump was the culmination of it in a lot of ways. So I'm really curious what you learned from the campaign and what you see going forward for more centrist Republicans who do not fit this sort of, you know, fill in the blank nationalist, populist, whatever, um, Trumpian vision of America. I think, um, I think one thing that I've found very interesting, even before Trump got on the scene is if you look at where the, the younger voters are trending and while it's true that younger voters, um, vote in a, you know, lower percentage than, than older voters do, the, the numbers, you know, they, they shift <laughs> and there's the, the younger cohort is starting to become more, um, more influential. And where the younger Republican voter is, is somebody who considers themselves conservative, does not like the political correctness nonsense that they hear at their universities, does not gets, gets, gets very irritated at what was happening during the Obama years. Well, you're criticizing Obamacare, therefore you're racist. No, we think it's a bad insurance plan because we don't like the math. We don't care if the president is black, Hispanic, purple, Martian, whatever. Um, it's because of the math. <laughs> um, and, and so there's, there's a definite, you know, feeling of there's a, you know, there's a strong libertarian individualistic kind of thing that's been trending with younger conservatives. And on the social front, I find it very, very interesting that under, you know, under 40, there's um, a much, much broader acceptance of gay marriage and related issues, but younger conservatives have still stayed very pro-life. Oh, that is interesting. And, and in, in fact, our 
a bit more pro-life, you know, the, 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 the graph goes like down and then it dips back up as you get into generation X and millennials. And what gives me reassurance is that I feel that that's coming from a logical fact-based place, <laughs> which is much more defensible than trying to argue to somebody who's not religious that your religion says that what they're doing is bad. Um, and, and there, there is some data to back up that one of the reasons that younger voters, younger conservatives are more pro-life and younger people in general are more pro-life is because of science, because we've all grown up seeing ultrasounds. It is very hard to argue that it is just a clump of cells when everybody sees their Facebook pages flooded every time somebody's pregnant. They're not like, oh, hey, here's my little clump of cells. They're, here's my baby. And from the beginning, very early on, <laughs> that grainy little picture has a little head and little arms and little feet. <laughs> and it looks like a little tiny human <laughs> because it is. <laughs> And it makes it a lot harder to deny the inherent humanity of the unborn. And that's a powerful thing um, that, you know, if you're coming from a place of wanting the conservative side, wanting the Republican Party to be a party of principle and a party that is sticking up for the rights of every individual American, then then that's a good good place to be on, on the social side. It's like, okay, live and let live on the gay marriage issue, but live and let live when it comes to the unborn. Um, that, that's, that's a place that a lot of younger conservatives feel very comfortable with. They have gay friends. They're not, they don't, you know, the, the, the animosity and the divisiveness over it is just, just not present with this group. Um, but they're, they're holding on to the pro-life position. Well, some of what I think is so hard about being conservative, even before Donald Trump, is that if you truly have an inclusive worldview, and still find some of the campus conversation, for example, irritating, you get sort of boxed in. It's a, it's a hard line to walk. And part of what I liked so much about what you guys did during the campaign is I feel like you walked that line beautifully. Like it was an inclusive message and it wasn't, um, kind of an, you didn't fight the political correctness fight the whole way. You just kind of went forward. Like, yes, this is an inclusive message. We're, we're working for all Americans and constitutional principles for everyone. And that's, you know, that's one of the things where a honest and principled limited government message can be extremely inclusive because let's, 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 let's go ahead and just say that the voters in San Francisco and the voters in the suburbs of Dallas are never <laughs> in my lifetime going to end up agreeing on a lot of issues. And that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. But we have a situation now where through the federal government taking over more areas through Supreme Court presidents that have just laid down, this is how everything's going to be and deal with it and too bad and you can't change it. Um, that leads to frustration, that leads to feelings of hopelessness, that leads to a lot of anger and divisiveness. If you roll back more issues and allow the states to handle them as they see fit, then you let California be California, let Texas be Texas. If if Vermont wants to invest more money in 17 types of recycling programs, cool. Um, if, 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 if Texas wants to have a different type of regulation for oil exploration, then let them. Um, 
you know, let's, when, when you have the federal government and people in DC mandating everything for the rest of the country, your freedom is limited because it's a lot harder to, you know, to get anything changed. If, if you have a system where the states are handling a lot more things on their own, if you don't like it, then you can move. Um, if it's a, if it's a national thing, then you can't, <laughs> there's nowhere to go. And one of the other things is, um, I, you know, I, you, it's very easy to track down the mayor of your city. If you want to go to a city council meeting, they're there, they're, you know, you can get there. <laughs> they're in the evenings on a weekday in most places that I've ever lived. Um, and you can go down and you can find your city council members. You can, you can track them down and meet them. If, if the, the mayor, when I, when I lived in Orlando, I, I knew the mayor of Orlando and his wife and the mayor of Winter Park and the next city over where I worked. Um, <laughs> if they didn't do something, they did something that people didn't like. Um, they'd get yelled at when they went to the grocery store because they were still part of their community. And that happens too with state legislators. Uh, legislative sessions come and go, but they've got all the state reps and state senators have to be part of their communities. They're there. You can find them. Um, it's not too hard to get a meeting with one. But then on the flip side, <laughs> I mean, I dare you to get a meeting with your member of Congress within the next month, a personal face to face meeting. I dare you. Right. I, and I've, and I've, I've offered that challenge to a number of friends of mine who have their member of Congress's cell phone number <laughs> who contributed heavily to their campaigns. And even the people who have gotten themselves into that elite level of access, the idea of getting a face-to-face -face meeting with their member of Congress, they chuckle and admit that it's not easy. <laughs> if you want to change something that the federal government is doing, good luck to you. If you don't like your city council member, well, with a little bit of pluck and a little bit of money, you can def run against them and defeat them. There's, it is very easy to knock one of them off. But to get an incumbent member of Congress out, forget it. You could have a million dollars and solid name recognition in your community, and still you're you're hot, you're almost certain to come up short. We're which so means bad. you can't do anything. We're so bad at talking about this, though. I think what you just said would make sense to so many people. And we just don't talk about the process because I think everybody thinks the process is boring. I'm hopeful that like a gift from Donald Trump in the long term, and I hope that we don't have too much collateral damage in the short term, <laughs> is that the process becomes more important to people. Because when I... You know, when Sarah and I started doing this show, we had no idea that Donald Trump would end up being the president. We said, Sarah says all the time, we were going to do nuance. The universe gave us Trump. Um, but a lot of our conversations, <laughs> it was exactly <laughs> a lot of our conversations around issues, abortion, the death penalty, health care. We really want the same kinds of outcomes for society, right? Climate change. I'd, I believe in climate change and I believe that we are responsible for caring for the earth. I just disagree with the process that she wants to go through to address that issue, right? She's more, um, trusting of the government as a solution and I'm more trusting of private enterprise and state and local governments as a solution. Yeah, but both sides want jobs and air that you can breathe. Absolutely. And instead we end up with a situation where the federal government controls it all. The Republicans say that the Democrats want to destroy all the jobs 
And the Democrats say that the Republicans want your children to breathe poisoned air and drink dirty water. Oh. And that they're lying to you about the fact that they're that could happen, lying. right? And, and yeah. we, and to be fair, we have Republicans who say really idiotic things about the science here too. And, <laughs> and so I think that's my, my hope is that there is an opportunity to start talking about the, the reasons to be conservative that are not horrible <laughs> and that we can get people involved who can message that the, the way that you're trying to message it. Yeah, and I, I agree with you very much that one of the silver linings in this whole Trumpian nightmare is that it is waking a lot of people up to what the federal government actually does. When you hear people talk about how we are a a nation of laws, not of men, and we should be governed by the rule of law, that sounds very highfalutin and philosophical you know, philosophical professor babbling at you freshman year when you weren't paying attention because you were tired from the night before. But there's there's a real <laughs> principle to that in that when you're governed by law as a principle, that means that you are writing the law no matter who is in power. And that was one of the things that the founding fathers did so well is this system of checks and balances and this idea of limiting the power of government and putting you know, clear boundaries on how much they were able to interfere with the states and interfere with your individual life is an important concept because while you might have a George Washington president, you might also end up with somebody who is, well, you know, if you're going to be charitable, let's just say he's inexperienced. I think that even a Trump supporter would admit that Donald Trump is a little bit new at this whole president thing and there's been some road bumps. So, you want a system where no matter who is in the job, that it still continues to work fine and that your individual liberties are not infringed upon. And that's important. Um, one of the things that I think the conservative movement did very well during the Obama years is continue to put out the message that it was dangerous for the White House and the executive branch under Obama to be gathering so much power. For, for Congress to be watching him governed by executive order and not put up a better fight about it is problematic because it unbalances the, the balance that is supposed to be within the three branches. And now we're in a situation where the Democrats woke up in November and <laughs> realized that all of this power that Barack Obama had been wielding was now going to be turned over to the Republicans and Donald Trump, who is pretty much the worst Republican that they could possibly imagine. Um, you look at the level of hysteria from some of these, you know, liberal protesters, the, the, the woman on the college campus who goes into a screaming rage just seeing a Donald Trump sign, the, the, the protest saying that women's rights are going to be taken away. Um, Okay, I, I'm I'm a female. <laughs> I, my my rights aren't any different <laughs> from where they were a year or two ago. Um, I'm still allowed to travel at night. I don't have to cover my hair or my ankles. You know, I don't have to ask my father for permission before I buy anything. Um, you know, I <laughs> there's a level of hysteria that is just is just a little bit nuts. But it the stress that is inspiring that hysteria is coming from a true and and fair place that the Democrats are having anxiety over somebody that they're uncomfortable with wielding so much power. And we should be able to all agree that this is something that we should all be concerned about. 
Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that this is, this is enough to finally get that message across that there is wisdom in limited government. There is wisdom in, um, oh, I forget. there's a Supreme Court case that famously talks about the states as laboratories of democracy. Let's, let's let the states try different ways of helping Medicaid patients. Let's let the states try different ways of, of economic growth. Um, I mean, clearly the Texas way worked pretty well, considering that the state was the uh, <laughs> total recovery under the Obama recovery years. I mean, it's, uh, the job growth in Texas makes up the entire 100 percent amount. Um, but that means that a state watching Texas can then try to get some lessons from that and copy it. Um, I mean, you've seen it very successfully with criminal justice reform, right. the states that have had good, good bipartisan reforms where Instead of throwing people in jail for years for nonviolent drug offenses, they put them in treatment. Um, it saves a ton of money. Texas has saved over $2 billion, not million, billion with a B, closed several prisons, closed a bunch of juvenile facilities, and the crime rate has gone down. The people participating in these programs have a lower recidivism rate. Um, that means they commit less crimes in the future um, than people who don't. So it's <laughs> it's successful. It saves money. It, it's humanitarian. It's a caring thing. Social conservatives love it because of the redemptive aspect. And everywhere these programs have been implemented and successes have been found, then that information has been shared and other states are copying it. You get the best results when you let the states try to figure out the best solutions for their people instead of having Washington, D.C. wag their finger and tell everyone how to do it. Well, and I think that requires the next generation of conservative leadership, wherever that springs from, to be very honest about that message, right? Because because what you just said has a lot of nuance in it. That means we can't say Obamacare is evil. We have to say hey, this is a bad use of federal resources. The federal government's not positioned to do this well. If a state wants to try an approach like this, have at it, right? And that's kind of where we were before it became, you know, Romney care and Obamacare and, and this sort of attack line. Like, I feel that to get the conservative message across in a way that is appealing to people, we have to trust those people to pay more attention. Is that a fair characterization from your standpoint? Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, like I I said, again, one of the silver linings of the whole Trump presidency is that it's been kind of a sledgehammer to the face to people that, oh, the federal government is involved in a lot of things. Am I really comfortable having them have that much power? Um, and, and again, I think this is one of the biggest things that's, that creates the divisiveness and ugliness. If, if you don't like how a particular ha- issue is being handled by your government, but it's being done at a city or, or county or state level, you can either do your best to lobby them yourself or you can run against them or you can find somebody else to support and you can change it. If it's Congress, you can't do anything about it. Feeling helpless and feeling like you can't change things is a very depressing and embittering kind of thing. And that's where we're at here. Where whether you're liberal or conservative, there's a lot of issues where when you think about it, you've got to admit, I mean, even with the microphone that people like me in the media have, I can't change things. That's depressing. (laughs) 
Yeah, it gives me um, empathy for things like the Women's March, even though I do generally trust our institutions to protect my rights as a woman. I understand feeling like, how is it that in 2017 we elected this person who has the history of treating women the way that Donald Trump has um, yeah. in the White House? And I understand a feeling of, I have to do something about this. Now, I'm not a marcher. That's just not my my thing. But I, but I get that sense and that frustration, and I think there's fairness in it. And that's why I think the, the question that I am most interested in is sort of what are we to do now? Like, do you think that trying to run as Republican candidates and support, support centrist Republicans is the path forward? Or should we sort of, you know, I've said into this microphone for a year now, Donald Trump is not a Republican. And I'm starting to question, <laughs> like, maybe he just is now and that's the new reality and I'm not. And what does that mean? So I would love to hear your thoughts on that. What what are people to do who really want to change the direction that conservatism is going in right now? Well, there's some people that are looking at centrist parties. I know that there's one that just formed in Utah that's that's very interesting. Um, that's probably going to try to be a player with the uh, special election for Jason Schaaf as a seat. Um, I mean, right now, for me personally, what I am looking for is finding common sense Republicans who are not Trump cultists. And I, by that, I mean the ones that are, you know, willing to challenge him and say, this isn't right. I don't agree with this, but they're not, um, they're not necessarily running against the president, but they're not, they're not running with him either. Um, I, I'm most familiar with the, the numbers in the, the Georgia six special, special election for the, the sixth district, which will replace Tom Price. I consulted with one of the candidates that came up short in the primary. Um, when you look at the numbers for that race, the Republican candidates who were the Trumpiest, the, the ones who had shared different grassroots for him, who had been very vocal in supporting him. I mean, one of, at least one or two of them even ran with a message that they were running to support Donald Trump's agenda. They did catastrophically bad. Um, now, now Georgia sixth was not the Trumpiest of Republican districts, but it's still a very red district. And, you know, the, the race was also affected by time constraints and the power of name recognition. But the fact that candidates who had better name recognition, but were viewed as Trump loyalists, you know, didn't even get a half of 1%, I think says a lot. I think that there's I think there's still value to trying to work within the Republican Party. Um, now, depending on how the 2018 elections go, depending on what Trump does and how the congressional Republicans react, I may revise that as the months and years to come. But there is something to be said for, you know, the one area where, you know, the average person can have a bit of an impact is in a primary, especially for an open seat. Do everything you can to get educated on the candidates to see where they are. Um, and I, I would not look at just whether they said they voted for Trump or not. I would look for statements of independence. They don't need to be running and, 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 you know, a, a nasty negative. I'm going to 
be the crowbar to smack Donald Trump. No, but they, they need to say, I'm going to hold the president accountable. They need to say that, you know, the constitutional principles upon which this country was founded come first. <laughs> um, you know, look for candidates that are saying things like that and saying that they're going to be an independent mind. They're going to be an independent conservative. They're going to be a, a voice of reason and accountability and do everything you can to get those candidates to the primaries and beg every single one of your friends and coworkers and relatives and, and you know, neighbors and the mailman, everybody <laughs> to support the people like that. And, you know, for the Democrats, I would say that, you know, barring much more radical shifts than most experts are expecting, the Republicans are likely to hold on to control. And so, you know, an all-out war against all Republicans and, you know, they want to have our kids drink dirty water and they're just warmongers and they're all evil and they want everybody to die. And that kind of rhetoric isn't going to get you anywhere. If you are a liberal or a moderate, finding a common sense independent Republican to get behind instead of trying to demonize everyone on the right <laughs> as an evil clone of Donald Trump, find the common sense Republicans who are principled and willing to think independently because they're going to have much more impact on actually holding this president accountable and keeping some of the balance than, than a Democrat in the minority party. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you.
want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. So I want that to be true and a viable path forward. And <laughs> Me I, too. <laughs> I worry about the media environment. And, and here's... Here's a question about that. I had hoped that with everything that's happened, for example, at Fox News, that there could be a change in direction and a change in tone. I had hoped that with the tenor of the entire 2016 presidential election, that we would see sort of cooler heads prevailing people in the media and the professional political kind of apparatus backing off the partisanship to some extent. And and that's true on both the conservative and the liberal side, but I'm more focused on the conservative side because that's where I'm so desperately wanting to find some voices that make sense to me. <laughs> and I don't see that, you know, I see Bill O'Reilly gone and Tucker Carlson in his seat and, and not to pick on any one person, but I, I don't see anything that feels new and fresh and like it's different haircuts, same ideas. Yeah. And same tone (laughs) and same attitude. Like a lot of it is just the attitude. Like we're just pissed off about everything. And I don't think that's a way to enlarge the number of people who are going to be interested in independent, um, common sense kind of moderate Republican candidates. Well, I mean, and, and Fox News's ratings have taken a real like hit. Um, there's, there's the, the problem is that with the, the media environment, the way that there is, if you have an audience, there is an incentive to do everything you can to silo that audience off and keep them from going anywhere else and kind of get everybody compartmentalized. Um, and the ongoing scandals at Fox news, which, you know, I'll, I'll throw out the caveat that I don't know. I'm not a witness to any of it. I don't know anything, but there's an awful lot of accusations about an awful lot of people being terrible to an awful lot of women. Um, which makes me feel that there is a very strong chance that something terrible was happening at Fox news. Um, you know, and, you know, they, they've been, I mean, Sean Hannity has been pushing this idiotic conspiracy theory about Seth Rich, that DNC staffer that got killed. I mean, I just, his family has been begging people to stop. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's embarrassing and it's awful. And so you start, you start getting these things that like, you know, oh, well, this one Fox News host is peddling a nonsense conspiracy theory. And, you know, the, the person that I watched for years isn't on the network anymore. And then there's all these horrible stories. Um, you start getting people starting to peel away. I have said for years 
whenever I've had a chance to address any kind of group, if you are a liberal and you never watch Fox News and you never read National Review and you never listen to a conservative talk radio program, then shame on you. If you are a conservative and you never watch CNN and MSNBC, if you've never, if you never read Slate or The Atlantic or, you know, you, you never look at any of these other things, then shame on you. If you are an intelligent person with free will and your own ideas that are valid, then they can handle getting exposed to comments from the other side of the aisle. Your brain will not explode. Your heart will not stop. Democracy will not die. It's okay to read stuff on the other side of the aisle. And if anything, your own ideas will end up more nuanced and more on a more solid foundation than they were before. You will either see ways that slight tweaks in the way that you're messaging things could reach more people. You may adjust opinions, or you may see that there are some real flaws in the way that they're making their argument, and that makes you more comfortable in where you are. You should, no one should ever be afraid or antagonistic to the idea of getting information that's coming from a different slant. And we've, we've gotten to this weird spot where the left wing media has insisted for years that they weren't biased and they're the objective media. And then there's the conservative right wing media. They're the biased ones. And we're just the purveyors of truth. And, and now they're trying to position themselves as the righteous watchdogs over the horror that is the Trump administration. Um, neither one of those positions are accurate or true. <laughs> neither one. <laughs> there is no such thing as unbiased objective media because it's run by humans, not robots. Every decision from do you pick the flattering photo or do you pick the weird photo where the light is shining up Kellyanne Conway's nose and makes her look like a Disney villain? Um, you know, the, the, the decision of which pictures to pick <laughs> to highlight a story is a biased enterprise. The headlines that you write is it, I mean, there's, there's been, I, I know I've seen a number of bloggers cover over the years that when a Democrat gets arrested, it's, you know, local politician arrested in bribery scheme. If it's a Republican who does anything anywhere, then it's Republican congressman caught doing blah, blah, blah. Um, there, there, there's a huge bias in, in all of these decisions. And the answer is not in trying to pretend that you can be, you know, completely objective. The answer is in being transparent about it. And these mainstream media organizations would do a lot better to make a concerted effort to hire a couple conservatives, people who are actually known to be conservatives and stick them in their newsrooms and stick them in their editorial boards and just be transparent about it. It's okay if it's a liberal paper, but don't pretend you're not. And make an effort to have some conservatives in the room. The, 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 the statistics on how overwhelmingly liberal our newsrooms are and our universities are among tenured professors is not a good trend and it's not a good trend for liberals either it's 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 polarizing well i agree with that it hurts everyone especially because we have now seemed to have collectively decided that the existence of any bias whatsoever negates worthy argument or actual fact Right? Yeah, bias news is not fake news. It's okay to have an opinion and a slant. That doesn't mean that the fact that they reported that 
you know, somebody in the Trump administration did X and they add a little editorializing, but doesn't mean that it's fake news. <laughs> right. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I just read a piece in the Washington Post about uh, the congressman from my hometown's district doing town halls in Kentucky. And the piece was dripping with condescension. There was a photo of his belt where he had a brass nameplate on his belt. And it was like a zoomed in photo of his name on his belt. Okay. So, so they're trying to insinuate he's a big old hit. Right. Don't pay attention to him because he's an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, I live in Texas. I'm familiar with this. <laughs> and it was clear to me that that was the attitude of the piece. But there were facts in the piece, right? And and it was still a worthwhile article. And I just think that we've got to we've got to get right with the fact that something is not uh, trash or fake just because there's there's a little twist to it that doesn't feel a hundred percent comfortable for you. So that leads me to the thing I wanted to ask you about before we wrap up, which is um, internet trolling, because I have seen you <laughs> very deftly handle that on, on Twitter. And I wanted to ask you, how how bad does that get for you? And what are your sort of principles in dealing with it? Well, I'll, I'll be honest and say it's it's bad. And I, I put on a, a tough face for it, but I, I will admit that it gets, it gets tiring. Um, it's been, it's the worst that it's ever been in my entire life. Um, I was an early adopter of Twitter. I was involved in the conservative media from early years of the Obama administration. So, you know, you, you're used to getting some misspelled little comment on your blog that yeah, you're stupid and you're ugly. Y-O-U-R instead of why are you apostrophe R-E? Like, okay. Like, I mean, that, that kind of thing is easy to, easy to blow off. What is, is troubling now is we've got, we've got a couple trends going on where people view the internet as an ability to have modern day lynch mobs. If we don't like what somebody did or said, then let's try to find their home. Let's try to find their family. Let's try to get them fired from their job. Um, I, I don't think that that is productive for anybody on either side. I, you know, if some actress tweets something that I think is obnoxious, then I might think twice about going to see her next movie if there's another option, but, you know, saying that she should never be hired again. And any director who hires her hates America. That's stupid. Um, but we've got that kind of rhetoric going on constantly. And then we've also got this idea that if you disagree with me, you are so evil and despicable that it doesn't matter what I do or say to you. Um, we've, we've, there are a, a lot of people who do not recognize the humanity inherent on the people, in the people on the other side of the aisle or who disagree with them. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's not productive. Um, since I, I, I rarely muted or blocked anybody before Trump got in the race. And because of so much friendly fire from so-called conservatives, I have muted and blocked thousands and thousands of comments uh, and, 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 and accounts because I've had to. Otherwise, every single time I got online, it would just be, a, you know, a parade of nonsense and filth. Um, the kind of I, I and, and I will say if somebody's following me on Twitter, that's not the exact same kind of attitude that I would recommend for people who are running for office themselves or who are in kind of corporate positions. I can be a little more free because of the position I'm in. But 
in general, you can kind of put people into a couple of different categories. The, the people that are posting just nasty, obscene stuff are useless losers and you can't convince them and you can't do anything with them. So the only things that only responses that are appropriate are to mock them for being the losers that they are and then mute or block them. Um, you can't have a dialogue with them. Now, if somebody is sending some kind of negative feedback and it's something where you've actually got facts on your side and you can make a coherent argument, especially if you can do it in the space of one tweet, maybe two at the tops, then, you know, some, you know, sometimes I'll try to reply to people like, oh, no, that's actually not the case. Like, here's a link proving you wrong. Um, but, but for the most part, the people that are, I, and, and, Go next time you see somebody trolling you, go and look at their Twitter feed. A lot of the times, these people, you know, 80, 90 percent or even more of their tweets are just sending negative things to other people. They're not participating in the dialogue themselves. They're just calling people stupid or un-American or you know whatever pile of insult is 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 cool this week among the cartoon frog crowd. Um, this is not somebody who's a serious person. This is not somebody who's influential, except among other little trolls. So, you know, when you, you start thinking of who actually matters, <laughs> you know, your, your family loves you, your friends care about you, you know, you're, you've got, you know, you've got good things going for you. This is somebody who is too cowardly to even have their own face on their Twitter account. And they're saying that you're an anti-American blank, 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 nasty word. Who really matters? <laughs> Does that troll matter? <laughs> Are they an important person? No. <laughs> so, you know, just trying to keep a little bit of distance and perspective makes it a lot easier for, you know, I'll, I'll throw out my go step on a Lego insult quite a bit. Um, you know, it's easier to be dismissive of, of the people who are just being nasty. The people who are disagreeing with you, you know, if you've got a way to have a conversation, then fine. A lot of these social media things, though, are just not really set up well for, like, ongoing debates and just accepting the limitations of the medium and not trying to get too frustrated about it. Just, just you know, laugh at it and move on. Well, that's something we talk about a lot. We just still got to give each other a little bit more grace, too. Like, we don't have to agree on everything. That's fine. Let's have an interesting conversation and know when to agree to disagree and and move forward, you know, so... I, I watch you do this and I see a lot of what gets directed at you. And I think some of it, I feel like I'm not living on the same planet as other people and I <laughs> admire the way that you handle it. So thank you so much for talking with me today, Sarah. Um, I feel like it's just very refreshing to know that there are people out there who are critical of this administration, who believe in the principles that I believe in and who are working hard to make those more of a reality. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, and just as a closing thought, I would tell your listeners that the thing to keep in mind is that the trolls on Twitter aren't even 1% of 1% of what's going on. The majority of Americans, whether they're Democrats or Republicans or independents, are good, normal people <laughs> who are just wanting to have jobs and send their kids to school and, you know, worry about how many calories are in that slice of pizza and, you know, hope that their sports team wins. And, you know, that's, <laughs> they're, they're, they're much more normal and much more like you than the political chattering, you know, trolls would want you to believe. And the most, most people in this country are good people. Most people in this country have good, kind hearts. 
our, you know, the American response to to tragedy and natural disasters and, and bad things is to open up our homes and to send money and to send volunteers and to be just big hearted, wonderful people. Um, I have tried to make an effort to occasionally find the happy little stories and the, the kid who, you know, went selling things door to door to help the homeless person at the end of their street. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of little wonderful tiny stories like that of somebody who, just made something better for somebody else's life because they wanted to. <laughs> and everybody has that power. You're not going to be able to get your incumbent congressman out of office, but you can make things better for the little old lady who lives on your street. So, I, you know, find some hope in that. It's not, it's, things are not terrible. America's not over or not great anymore. There's, there's good out there. So that may be a little, you know, Pollyanna-ish, but hey, I grew up in Disney's backyard. These things happen. Well, and you're on Pansy Politics, and we are very much about the the Pollyanna-ish view of the world. Because if we're not, we won't get it, right? I mean, we're going to get what we look for and what we create. And if we keep talking about each other as though sort of the 1%, uh, the 1% of 1% view is correct, that 70% of us are elite or something and don't understand real America, instead of recognizing that, that America is a beautiful, diverse strong country that it was absolutely bigger than the Trump presidency or, or any presidency or any election, um, we'll be a lot better off. Yeah. Try, try to, if you disagree with somebody, try saying, I disagree with you rather than saying, I think you're evil or dumb. If we had that one rule, we would fix a lot of things. Okay, today in the pearls, Beth and I are going to talk about hangovers because we both have one. (laughs) So we did tipsy pantsy politics last night. I then decided it would be a good idea to go out and with my girlfriends for one of my girlfriend's birthdays. And we met up with um, some friends of mine who are not good influences on me in the best scenarios. And I drank more. Oh, and it was such a bad idea. I'm way too old for this. I hardly ever drink. So as soon as we hung up, I got sick and I went immediately to bed. Oh, and we got to, I took a two hour nap today. Yes, I took about a 45 minute nap. I flew today as well. I flew from Cincinnati to Orlando today. Now you can imagine what a flight to Orlando is like, right? Lots Mm. and lots of children. The flight was oversold, so we got to do the really exciting dance of people who thought they had a seat on the plane being told that they didn't. We Uh, sat for an hour before taxiing anywhere. I've never been so grateful to not have my children with me. I felt so sorry for the families trying to entertain their kids while this was going on. So anyway, that was all really exciting when my head felt like it weighed 10,000 pounds, but I think our listeners enjoyed it and I really appreciate all the people who support us. I'm not sure. Are you going to go back and watch it? I'm not sure I'm up for that. No, I cannot do that. I went back and watched some of our Q&A that we did because we did both of these by video, which is new for us. And watching our Q&A made me really miserable. 
But if we're going to do more stuff by video, we've got to watch, right, and learn from it. So That's right. But this is this is a step too far. I can't go back and watch this one. So, well, before we wrap up, tell us where you're going on your trip. Yes. So we're here in Orlando until tomorrow, and then we fly to London. We'll be there for a couple of days. We think we're going to take a train to Scotland, and then we'll come back into London. We're going to spend the weekend in Paris. And then go kind of into the south of the UK where we're going to stay a night in a castle, which I'm pretty excited about. And then my husband is excited to see where they film Top Gear. So that's kind of our rough itinerary. Can I say, though, I just want to have a quick chat. America, I love you. Let's talk about baggage claim. Mm. Because all the people who hover at baggage claim drive me crazy. We can just step back, right? It's not going at the speed of light. And when you crowd you have plenty of time bag, to take the three and a half steps forward to get to your bag. Yes, yes. I don't understand. It seems so obvious to me. So, um, I'm, but we're bringing our patients with us because British Airways has been in the news for being a mess. That's what we're flying. Um, so we know, with and especially with everything that's happened in Manchester, we know that things could be a lot of delay and a lot of waiting, and we're just having a good time and not going to worry about anything. Really appreciate you making this trip possible by managing things <laughs> with the podcast. My parents who are keeping our children, um, I'm so grateful to them, a lot of my coworkers. So uh, this is our 10-year anniversary trip, and we've really been looking forward to it. Well, make sure and post lots of pictures on Instagram so we can follow along and live vicariously and be jealous. I definitely will. And I think I'm going to do like a little travel blog once we get to London in our Patreon feed. Oh, fun. All right. Well, safe travels. And everybody, um, this will be coming out after Memorial Day weekend. So we hope everybody had a great holiday weekend and is excited for the summer. We've got some cool interviews coming up while Beth is gone. Um, also, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Pantsuit Politic on Twitter. No S because Twitter limits your characters because they're jerks. Um, other than that, we are still, again, on the membership drive. You can check that out on Patreon or subscribe to our weekly email if you want to make sure you know what shows came out and what we posted on our blog. We will be back on Friday, or I will be back on Friday with the briefcase. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you to our executive producers, my husband, Nicholas Holland, and our newest executive producers, Tracy and Leslie.